0: Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Moore, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. And today, we have Greg with us. And we are going to talk about empathy. The topic of the day is managing empathy in everyday life, which is very interesting to me. And I'm grateful to be here to talk to Greg about it because Greg is currently a PhD candidate and Shirk doctoral fellow. I just learned that word today in the psychology department at the University of Toronto. So Greg, thank you for being here and I appreciate your time as much as the topic that we're going to talk about, but before we go into the conversation and a bit more of sort of like a a formal part of the interview, I always try to invite my guests to maybe share a bit more about their background and themselves if they're comfortable, just so our audience can get to know you a bit better. So if there's anything that I haven't mentioned, please go for it and share a bit more about yourself with us.
1: Um, Great. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's, uh, great to be here. Um, so, yeah, my name is Greg DePoe, um, PhD candidate at U of T. Uh, I'm also a husband and father, so that keeps me pretty busy as well. Um, yeah, not not too much else to, to say, I guess, at this time. Uh, I keep pretty busy with with the grad school and, and the family life at the moment, but um, yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you here today about this.
0: So, Greg, thank you for sharing a bit more about yourself and I actually wonder Now you got me curious. How did you get to study about this area?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first actually applied to grad school, one of the things I was interested in was studying mindfulness. Um, So I applied to work with a few people at the University of Toronto that were interested in mindfulness and had done some work on that. And when I first talked to uh, my advisor, Dr. Inslet, he actually was interested in empathy, um, which I hadn't at that time really started researching. Um, so I was like, oh no, I'm not as prepared for this interview as I thought. But, um, over the summer that, uh, after speaking to him and before going into grad school, I really started to delve into that literature and just found it really fascinating. And, um, I've been spending kind of my entire time in grad school with a lot of different projects, but a lot of them are focused on essentially on this question of empathy. So how do we experience it in everyday life? What types of situations do it, does it arise in, uh, what different forms does it take? um and all that sort of stuff so really uh my the impetus or the start of my uh empathy interest was my master's project uh initially mm. so yeah
0: mm. yeah what an interesting journey mindfulness and now empathy i think uh-huh. they're actually interconnected i remember having a conversation with another guest uh now i my memory doesn't serve me well most of the time but i'm pretty sure that was on another show that i'm hosting um, and we we did talk about this a little bit, and we were sort of saying that when you know when you want to have empathy in your life, that you can you should do that mindfully as well, because um, yeah, a lot of the time it's you think that it's subconscious and you just sort of like you think you have it, uh, but no, actually, you know, you, if you infuse some of the mindfulness that you can into that, it will really help. And we'll go into details later. I just got excited, uh, but yeah, thank you for sharing. And now before we go into the very serious part uh, of the conversation, I want to talk to you a bit more about some, uh, perhaps, let's just say recommendations. I like to call them recommendations. And the first thing I would love to hear from you is a book, you know, maybe the first one that comes to your mind or one that you would recommend to our audience.
1: Okay. Um, I think one really interesting book that I read quite a while ago is called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this book. It's by Oliver Sacks, who's a neurologist who recently passed away. Uh, But he was a really brilliant neurologist, and he he writes these really interesting case studies of people who have uh, damage to different areas of the brain, and they have um, sort of uh, they might have prosopagnosia, where they have uh, blindness to faces. So for the for example, this gentleman had blindness to faces. So he sort of uh, at one time at one point leaving, he tugged on his wife's hair. Uh, thinking that that was where he had placed his hat and it was a coat rack. So that's where the title from the book comes from. But oh. it's just fascinating to see how like every aspect of our conscious experience can be in- affected by, uh, and you can have these really strange experiences that happen. So mm. that's an interesting one.
0: That's going to be an interesting read. I'm going to put that on my list for sure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All sure. So next one, we always ask as well. And, um, you know, for for anyone who's a movie fan, they would like this. What? movie comes to your mind or which one would you recommend to us
1: it's a good one um one movie that i'd like uh, is called tombstone so it's mm. a it's like a western movie uh, back in the day uh doc holiday uh, is a kind of interesting character val kilmer plays him so he's he's got some kind of neat dialogue so that's that's a movie i like um mm.
0: yeah Never heard of that before, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
1: It's kind of an old one. I think it's in the uh, 90s.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I watched a lot of movies growing up, but I just didn't know their names. So maybe uh, I've watched it without knowing what is what it was. So yeah. I mean, I, I'll know maybe. when I see it. So yeah, I'll look it up and you know have a, have a watch. But that sounds interesting. So, I like stuff so that okay. has to do with tombstones. I just never watched one that's yeah. named Tombstone. Anyways. Mm. All right. Uh, this is a must ask on our show. This is a podcast. You're doing this with us, but I wonder which podcast you frequently listen to, or maybe one you want to talk about today?
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, oftentimes uh, putting the baby to bed in, with one <laughs> earbud in. Uh, but uh, let's see, lately I've been listening to a podcast called Quantitude Pod, which is by a couple of psychologists who I uh, really like statistically focused. So it talks about different uh, statistics, uh, things, and things to do with research and stuff. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, another one that I kind of like that's like not so academic is called Tooth and Claw, which actually talks about like uh, animal attacks um, that happened and like maybe how you can uh, act around animals to sort of keep that from happening. So it's kind of mm. a di- totally different one. But. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, the, the yeah. two are completely different, but they both sound works, interesting. That. When I heard the first one, I was like, wow, you're really into your studies and you're really diligent, just listening. Even what you listen to is academic. But then the second one, I was like, okay, now that makes sense. That works.
1: Yeah. 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 Sometimes you need something different. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because I can tell you, like, I, I, I do podcasts frequently to the point that now I don't listen to podcasts anymore, period. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I just do something else. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's it's fun Better to, not. you know, stray away from your professional field so you can have some fun and really just kick back. Uh, the second one, that That's sounds right. very interesting to me. I probably will check that out. The first one, probably not at this point, but we'll definitely put it on my list for later.
1: It's it's a All niche. Right. niche.
0: Yeah, it uh, is. Yeah, sure. I mean, I really like psychology, but like, because I feel like we learned so much about psychology on our show that I've already learned enough from our guests, and I really don't, you know, feel the need to listen to other shows apart from the ones that we produce at the moment. So that's why yeah. uh, nothing against psychology, just kind of like no, personal preference. Yeah. Um, the next one is a really interesting one because a lot of people sort of like, oh, I don't have one. But who would be your famous role model, or if not famous, then your personal fo- role model?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. So I would say it's maybe kind of a, a cheesy one, but I guess a famous role model would be, uh, not so much a role model, but like a source of inspiration, maybe in some ways would be LeBron James, who uh, mm. recently became the uh, all-time NBA leading, scoring, leading scorer, yeah. uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of neat. Anyway uh, yeah, so he's I've watched him since he was in high school playing, and hmm. you know just kind of persistent hard work at something that you have an aptitude towards can lead to excellence and um you know he also is a big focus on you know his being a father and that sort of thing, so um, yeah, in that way so that's yeah. how you can relate to
0: him even more, right
1: right, yeah uh personal yeah. role models would be my dad as well, and I, mm-hmm. I suppose like, my advisor and um, someone in my department, Liz Page Gould, who uh, is really just kind of a kind person and a brilliant scientist, so someone that I'd like to conduct myself like as well. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, but- so you have quite a few of those, um, and yeah, I think it's it's really good for us to you know pick things from not just one or, but actually a few people because we learn something from everyone, right? So I think it's sure. it's always nice to hear when someone has multiple role models and they learn. You know, maybe you pick um, pick up an area from this one, but you pick up a lot of other areas in another person. And yeah, yeah, that's that's the beauty of life, having a lot of role models. Right. So that's our fourth question. And the, f- the last one, before we go into the next part, would be a course that you have completed. Now I know that you're <laughs> doing your dissertation. <laughs> so I don't know if this is going to be enjoyable for you to talk about, because sometimes people don't want to talk about it. But it sounds like you're very passionate. So what is a recent course you've completed that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. Um, the most recent course, which is the last course I had to do for my PhD is, was interpersonal perception, uh, Mm -hmm. which was a really interesting course. So that was kind of about, uh, how we kind of understand other people's states and traits. How do, how do I understand your personality throughout this conversation? How do you understand my personality? How do I understand what you're thinking or feeling at a given time? So Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, different ways that people have studied that. So that was kind of cool. Uh, Mm -hmm. really interesting course. Um. I was I also thinking of an online one that maybe people could access that might be of interest to your audience if, if they haven't heard of it, is uh, on Coursera.org, there's a course called The Science of Well-Being by Laurie Santos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Somebody heard of this one. Um. So yeah, yeah, there's been some work that suggests that actually taking that course can boost your well-being. Um, yeah. And they recently had one for teens uh, that came out, or yeah. at least I recently saw it. I saw. Yeah, so that's kind of yeah. neat. Yeah. Mm, I was thinking yeah. of sending that to my to the mm-hmm.
0: kids and yeah. So well, but, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> i really like that uh, well the first one i can't relate with uh, much because that probably has to do with your profession but um the second one i really love uh, laurie was sort of like my buddy last year because i was you know doing the course in between work sessions and i felt like that really helped because last year i really struggled with my well-being in general and i was like how do i change my life now because it you know it's like it, it's Gray, and I'm like, I don't know where I find my sense of well-being, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah, the the science of well-being course really helped me because I didn't do it in one go. I sort of just like really paced it out and really just, you know, took my time. And sometimes I even go back to a module like twice because I'm just like, I've I've forgotten what I learned, so I want to go back to it. So yeah, I really had fun with that course. And to anyone who hasn't done it, definitely try it. And I love that it's free. You know, such a great one and open to everyone. um, and I just see their newsletters that came out maybe two weeks ago that they have the one for teens, and I was like, wow. I wish I had this when I was a teenager, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's great that there's so many online courses like that. They're great resources. Uh, EdX mm-hmm. and Coursera and those types, uh, excuse me, those types of sites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you for sharing all the courses and uh, some of the other recommendations. That's very fun. Um, I always enjoy the first section and hopefully our audience has got to know you a little bit better. And now let's go into the serious part of this conversation where we're going to talk about all things well-being, empathy, and even managing our empathy as well, which is going to be interesting because I've never heard anyone say, manage your empathy. In your daily uh, lives, you know, like that's a new concept, I would say. So let's uh, first of all go broad and um, discuss a bit about well-being. We touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, you, you know, you recommended the science of well-being course. We've both done the course, I believe, at this point. So uh, we might share similarities in how we see it, but what I can tell you is each guest has a very different way of describing or defining well-being. So I wonder, to you, Greg, what does it mean?
1: Mm. Yeah, so as a psychologist, I I focus on uh, in my research at least on subjective well-being mostly. Um, so of course, there's you know objective measures of well-being like GDP, uh, physical health, and things like that. But uh, what I typically think about is um, subjective well-being, which is often composed of uh, emotional well-being. So kind of the balance of positive and negative emotions, as well as uh, that's kind of like an affective well-being part of it, and then there's also more of a cognitive, uh, like a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning in life, uh, which is sometimes called life satisfaction. Um, so those are sort of two pieces of well-being that I'm often uh, interested in in my research. I definitely think that there's other domains of it as well, but those are kind of the psychological components of it that I tend to be focused on. Um, mm-hmm. What one other thing that maybe is worth mentioning is that. Uh, There was a a paper recently about psychological richness as another maybe component of subjective well-being. So sort of having rich, varied, different types of experiences in your life. Um, Mm. I haven't focused on that as much in my work.
0: But the the second point that you just mentioned that sounds interesting to me, maybe you can uh, share a bit more on that. Like what intrigued you the most about that concept when you came across it? Because it sounds new to me. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. We touched on something different here, but I wonder what else is there.
1: On uh, about sense of purpose or about um, richness?
0: Richness, yeah.
1: Richness. Yeah, so they sort of uh, suggest that just having different types of Experiences, maybe traveling. Um, so, what's kind of interesting about that is, you know, negative things can be rich experiences. Uh, okay. So, uh, having uh, varied experiences, you know, not just doing the same old thing. Uh, uh, maybe not not staying in the same place all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, the the richness aspect of it. There was a paper recently. Westgate uh, was the main author of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's kind of an shigi oshi. That's kind of a new uh, part to subjective well-being and psychology that people have been talking about, but I haven't focused mm-hmm. on it as much uh, in my research. Yeah. i am mostly focused on the uh, um, affective well-being and the cognitive well-being, so mm-hmm. uh, positive and negative emotions and the uh, life satisfactions. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I know that you you focus on the the first part of the definition more, but I got really intrigued by the second one because on this show, this is the first time that. I've heard of it or, you know, for a lot of our audience, probably the first time they've heard of it as well. Um, So yeah, it, it might be a thought starter. And for a lot of us, we might go and Google it after this. I got to put that on my list to Google for sure. Um, Okay. So I know that you don't focus too much on that second part. So let's focus on the first definition that you just shared. So obviously, you know, like the traditional um, or like the you know, really common viewpoint when it comes to psychology in terms of like um, life satisfaction and other factors that has to do with well-being. The I don't have anything to add on top of that because you're the expert here you've done the research but I wonder in the work that you've done if you've come across any sort of misconceptions when it comes to well-being because you know a lot of people see well-being in in a lot of different lenses just like anything else in life everyone has their own opinion um and you know you might come across other people's opinions or perhaps in your research you you might see some interesting statistic that says otherwise about well-being Maybe. like perhaps there's just little things you know might, there might be little things that people either get wrong or just um, don't know about when it comes to well-being
1: right yeah i would say I, I think you're uh don't sell yourself short i think you're also an expert in well-being with uh, all the conversations <laughs> you've been having i've been listening to the podcast and- Uh, Yeah. But uh, misconceptions about well-being. I I think uh, maybe this is not just about well-being, but I think one thing that I found sort of empowering in psychology is the idea that maybe we have more influence over our conscious experience than we realize. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that comes along with well-being. So And that ties back to uh, mindfulness as you were talking about as well. So once you can kind of pause and step back and observe your experience, you could influence it in different ways. Um, So we often think that our levels of well-being are maybe set, Um, you know, we might have certain automatic negative thoughts that consistently occur and, you know, that's just how, that's the habits we fall into, but I I think, um, you know, not to minimize the very real challenges that people face uh, with their well-being, um, you know, but I I do think that sometimes people can have more impact on their well-being than they think, So, which Mm. I think is empowering.
0: Yeah, it is. I guess we haven't talked about this in detail on the show before, but you know, the, someone might have mentioned this in one of the discussions that we had. And I think a lot of the times um, what I've noticed in people around me is they might say, I don't have any control over this and, you know, I'm probably, for example, I'm sick because of this, or I am sad because of it. And it, it sort of affects their well being overall, like because it's not just physical health, it's mental health. And, um, but like you said, it's actually we are in control. And I think that's the most important part because we need to take control of what we do when the situation arises. And this perhaps doesn't just have to do with well being, but other aspects in life. Um, because a lot of the times we are resigned to our own space or we just you know deal with whatever comes our way and just kind of like, okay, that happened. I'm just not gonna deal with it. where actually we can do something about it. For example, if our well-being is compromised, um, you know, for example, one aspect of our well-being, let's just say mental health. Um, I learned that it could be really easily, and this came from way back in the day with personal experience. I could just do nothing. Sit in the corner and cry, or I could actually, you know, go out. And in fact, this uh, is related to a conversation I just had with another podcast guest earlier today. Um, I think it's important that we decide to change our circumstance, and in turns, that will improve our well being a lot. Because I was in a very dark situation. I was kind of like, I really don't understand what's going on. It was like my first time having a brush with like the the dark side of mental health, and I was kind of like okay, well, I'm just going to do nothing. But then eventually I started to try different strategies and I feel like this would help um, other people as well if they hear this is you can try different things. If it doesn't work, try something else. So, you know, I try different things in that period and that really helped me to understand well-being and mental health in a different light. And also it helped me to get out of that situation gradually. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. We're in control for sure. And we just need to make sure we know And we learn about the strategies and tools to cope. And, you know, when something arises, we know exactly what to do, or at least we are willing to try.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I like what you said about, um, you know, if it doesn't work for you, try something else as well. Uh, Because, you know, we often suggest strategies or or different things that might work for people. And I think a lot of them can be, if maybe not universally helpful, Mm -hmm. but things like self-compassion and those sorts of things can be really helpful for most people, I think. Uh, but then there's other things where, you know, there's causal heterogeneity or it affects different people, different ways. So, yeah. um, you know, and that can also be discouraging to people. If you, I tried something, it's supposed to help. It didn't help. I knew it, nothing will help me. It's like, try something else there, there can be something, you will find something yeah. that can help you. Uh, yeah. so. And, totally. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. The beauty about life is there are just so many things you can do in and- The more research is done, the more tools are out there for us to try. So, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think in the context of today's topic, though, I really, really want to go into that because I've been itching to talk about it. Empathy. What a big word. Yes. Right. It's a very big word. I don't know how many times I've heard of it in my life, but I can tell you more than the definition I've heard, for sure. Like I've heard about the word but I don't think anyone has successfully defined it in a way that's like convincing or in a way that would help others to understand it in a really simple way. So mm. since you've done a lot of research in this area, how would you define what, empathy?
1: Yeah, so empathy is a tricky concept to define. So people have said that there's as many definitions of empathy as there are people studying it. But I think that that's maybe an exaggeration. Uh, how I typically defined empathy is as a <laughs> as an umbrella construct so it has multiple parts to it uh in my mind um there's kind of the emotion sharing piece uh where you observe someone's emotions and you start to feel the same as them uh there can be sort of the compassion piece where you care about how the other person is feeling regardless of what they're feeling then there's kind of the more cognitive or thinking piece to it which is understanding, putting yourself in someone's shoes and understanding their perspective. Um, so you might define it more simply as, uh, the process of understanding, sharing and caring about the emotions of other people.
0: Yeah. And I think you just touched on three things there and I'm guessing they might be the three different types of empathy that you mentioned.
1: So Mm -hmm.
0: emotions, compassion, and cognitive. I think. Yeah. So it sounds like there are different ways that we can approach this because even though the definition sounds simple, we could look at a situation, you know, based on like, you know, using different lens, we can look at the di- situation differently and perhaps um, strike a strategy to really bring that empathy out. Uh, but I also saw that, uh, you know, this is sort of like tied into a lot of, I guess, New insights that we might catch from time to time. Um, I mean, you're the expert, so you could tell me about this because you've done the research. Uh, but what I find interesting is probably the cognitive piece, because a lot yeah. of us might think of empathy as, you know, just it's related to your compassion. This is what okay. we probably have heard before. Have some compassion, have some empathy, but it sounds to me like there's more to it. And since we're talking about well being, Perhaps you can share a bit more with us about the differences between these three kinds of empathy and how it can affect our well-being?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I I think they are importantly distinct. Uh, Mm -hmm. They have important differences. You see, you know, in certain conditions, some people will have one but not the other. Um, So there's definitely important distinctions. They seem to be underpinned by different neural structures. Um, But I think... At the same time, I, I did some work with, uh, with Mickey and with my former lab mate, Zoe, where we interviewed people in their daily lives about recent empathy opportunities they've had. And we found that these three things, though they're distinct, they tend to go together in about mm-hmm. 75% of everyday empathy events. So mm-hmm. they, they tend to go together, but they are still different in these important ways. So I think it's about okay. focusing on one versus the other, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the context. Um, mm-hmm. so it, a lot of work has been done on empathy for suffering. And when you think of empathy and you listeners think of empathy, you probably imagine a response to someone that's suffering. Um, mm-hmm. you know, someone feels bad and you feel empathy as a response, but you know, if empathy is the process of understanding, sharing and caring about the emotions of others, we actually have positive emotions about three times as often as negative mm-hmm. emotions, right? So where yeah. it's also a response to positive emotions and in fact, Uh, in those sort of uh, everyday empathy experiences, empathy opportunities for positive emotions were about three times as common as well Mm -hmm. as as those for negative. So um, there has been a lot of work on on how compassion is important to focus on in the face of suffering, right? So uh, if you get too drawn in to sharing the emotions, negative emotions and suffering, especially physical suffering, um, sharing those emotions as deeply as you can that can lead to a feeling of distress, anxiety, feeling overwhelmed. Um, But focusing on compassion there can be helpful. Uh, But actually when we're talking about positive emotions, the same sort of situation doesn't really apply in my view. Um, There, when you share those emotions as deeply as you can, then you're going to, you don't have the same risk of personal distress, right? Um, If I share your happiness, even if I share it a lot, I'm, I'm not Probably going to feel distressed and anxious about it, mm-hmm. so uh, and it might actually facilitate kind of an enthusiastic response that lets you what relationship scientists call capitalize mm-hmm. on, uh, on your positive event. So um, when your friend tells you about good news and you get really happy about it, they yeah. they get to celebrate their good news and again anew, right, uh, mm-hmm. with you. So uh, that mm-hmm. improves the relationship and it's good for your own well being. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that emotion sharing piece, uh, the effective empathy or emotional empathy piece, um, yeah. the role of that kind of varies depending on if you're dealing with positive or negative emotions for well-being. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. Because when you said that, I immediately thought of, um, I mean, maybe I've been watching too much dramas lately, but I've, I've been thinking about this, like we are talking about sharing the good news as much as, you know, like uh, maybe being empathetic towards uh, the bad moments but sometimes in life, when someone is having something good, or if someone is sharing good news, the reaction they get from others, and you know, this might come from us as well, is we might get jealous. So it's not necessarily right. empathy; it's jealousy. And obviously, we might have heard of this, uh, you know, from the angle of um, it is because it's. A reflection of something that you're lacking within yourself, which is why you're mm-hmm. feeling the, the jealousy. So mm-hmm. I know this is not part of the questions that we, we sent you, but it came out from what you just said. I found it interesting. So I wonder for anyone who has struggled with this, I know I have, um, how can we turn that piece of jealousy into empathy? Because you know right. there, there's got to be strategy and we're talking about managing our empathy, right? How can we sort of make our behaviors more healthy for ourselves? So that we can improve our well-being, because we know empathy is good for our well-being, but getting there sometimes is not easy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really—I I love that you asked that. Uh, that actually touches on work that I'm doing now for uh, mm. my dissertation. So I've been really interested in—I think this is really a problem, especially on social media, where people have those kind of, uh, you know, envy, jealousy, social comparisons kind of response, right? People often use social media for impression management. Not, uh, not just as a, here's how I'm feeling, but also like, here's how I'm feeling, but I want you to see me in a certain light, right? Yeah. So by having that impression management motive, uh, the content that people are exposed to is often very positive and unrealistically so on social media. So people actually make these kind of, um, upward social comparisons. They feel envious and they feel bad about themselves more often and that's and more extreme on, on social media. It's not the only place that it happens, right? You, you make these yeah. uh, other places. But um, yeah, so I've actually been looking at how we can encourage people to practice positive empathy rather than um, having that sort of response. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just about like focusing on the positive emotions of people you care about while you're there and trying to share and celebrate those positive emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, be kind to yourself in the process. Um, If you start to feel something like, you know, I wish I had good news like this, just remember, you know, their life is about them. We all have pain and joy. And just take this, gently redirect your attention to just sharing their positive emotion and appreciating it. You know, this is a good opportunity for you to both feel happy. And this is a good thing that's happened to them. It doesn't Mm -hmm. actually mean anything about you. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, Easier Mm. said than done, right? So when a post is too difficult, just move past it and be kind to yourself about that as well. We're not, you know, we can't Mm -hmm. all just celebrate the joy of everyone. We're going to be jealous and envious sometimes. That's okay. We can accept that and move past it. We want to try to focus on having as many opportunities to like have these moments of appreciative joy as we can. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a really good point. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think from my personal experience, this is not research backed, by the way, just personal experience is there was definitely a period of time when I was younger, not now, but I, I, talk, I can talk about it now because I've passed it. So, you know, I, I can look back on it fondly and laugh at myself. But um, there was a, obviously a period of time when I was new to social media. I was, you know, new to friendships and everything. I was still sort of like trying to manage me uh, myself. And uh, obviously that happened. And um, it's easier said than done to focus on the good part of it, but somehow back in the day, I just couldn't do that. Mm. What I've realized over the years though, is at that point, I wasn't living a life true to myself. Mm. So when I saw other people's good news, I got jealous because I didn't have the good news that I wanted for myself, perhaps in some Mm. ways, even though my life seemed good on paper, on social media, on paper, everywhere else, it might seem good. But now, when I see somebody else's good news, even um, you know, even if it's a stranger, I feel happy for them, because I feel like I'm living a, a life true to myself. I'm doing exactly what I want. I'm not forced to do things out of my control or um, do things because of societal pressure, you know, because of family. And I feel like that has really shifted my perspective and helped me to improve, and you know, the way I manage my empathy. Um, it my Help to also look at it from that perspective. I think this is, again, personal experience. It might be different for different people. Um, but I, I truly learned from that, you know, saying that if you're jealous, if you have negative emotions, it's pinpointing you to something. And in that case, it pinpointed, you know, it pointed me to the fact that I wasn't happy with my life. And, you know, mm. when I'm happy with my life, I'll be happy for everybody else. And it's kind of like this, circle, this loop, right? If I'm happy for others, I'm happy for myself, I'm happy for myself, I'm happy for others. It's just kind of like mm. yeah, like you add to it yourself and you're in control. So, you know, if if you learn from the process, if there's anything that you're not happy with, maybe it's time to change and for me, I've, I've learned the hard way. You know, I, I lived in a my life in a very long period of like, I don't know, like it felt like you're the outsider of your life but now I feel like I'm the I'm the insider, I don't know. That's really weird to say out loud, but I feel like I'm living my life and that's really Perfect. helpful for my well-being. And yeah, it's just in the context of empathy. That's what I'm gonna say.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it, it is possible that, uh, you know, you need to have a sort of baseline of being happy with your own life and happy with yourself in order to have this kind of practice. Um, I definitely think that's possible. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I mean, I I've, of course, this is a strategy that you can use to help uh, go on social media while you're on social media, maybe. It, it's not necessarily the case that I'm saying, um, you know, the best way to go out and be happy and to have a meaningful life is to be on social media and share people's joy as much as possible. It's more yeah. that, you know, people are on social media while you're on social media. Maybe this is a better attitude to have than, uh, yeah. you know, the social comparison attitude. But Mm. definitely, um, you know, uh, when you're unhappy with your life in that way, I think that's really interesting that you raised that point. I'll have to think about that more, Um, Mm. you know, whether it's- starter. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I don't do research, but whenever I think about these things, I'm like, maybe I should do some sort of research because like, you know, it's interesting to think about life in in different perspectives. Like I'm keen to gather perspectives one day and just be like, what is your thought on this? Like, you know a thousand people will have a thousand different ways of looking at it. Like I I find it interesting that we can categorize things just like how you said, you know, three kinds of empathy. And I was like, Oh, okay. Some sort of category emerged probably because of the observation and the research. And maybe this is another piece of it. I don't know. Um, And it's not just in the context of social media, but also like recently as well, like I've noticed that even in, you know, interaction, like daily interactions with people in person, it's better like i don't feel the need to be competing with anyone as well cuz i think that that's what that's what happened in the past and obviously as a right. young adult uh, that might happen to a lot of people right must have happened mm-hmm. or you know future young adults might go through this is there'll be comparison with other peers you know you'll see everyone sort of making some progress and you're behind you feel like it not really right. so yeah i think that's a that's a good part um, when it comes to empathy. And I feel like that's empathy towards yourself as well. If you're like, oh, I'm feeling behind. Not really. Are you really? Right. I don't think so.
1: You're right on yeah, track. A lot, yeah, a lot of times, uh, you know, you're looking at goals that someone else is accomplishing that aren't even your goals. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's not even something you want to do, right? Like, yeah, so how exactly. are you behind when it's not even one of mm-hmm. your goals? Uh, exactly. Yeah, so, so true.
0: Yeah. yeah that- I have to emphasize this because, you know, we all learn the hard ways because sometimes later in life, we're like, I don't know why I chased that for 10 years. Sometimes that happens, you know, and yeah. I just need to remind myself because I'm like, well, if it's not my goals and no point in chasing it, bye-bye.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it comes from, you know, it maybe it made more sense back when we were in really small uh, communities. To be competing with everybody uh, mm-hmm. in, in that way and comparing yourself to everyone in your group and you know finding where you fit and where your strengths are and but you know when we have access to like everybody's life in the whole world you know we we can't compete with everybody on everything so it's just a, a recipe for disaster when we try I think for for our well being
0: yeah, yeah. 100 percent so true I mean I can continue on and talk about well being all day because i'm you you said don't self myself short but i still learn a lot about it from conversations like even though i do a lot of podcasts with experts i still learn about it daily and sometimes i forget about what i've talked about so i have to go back and learn more about it it's a it's a very interesting spectrum to learn about like the whole thing um and yeah I, i don't think it'll ever stop but In in the interest of um, the topic that we want you to talk about, managing empathy, I found Mm -hmm. this phrase that our team created to be interesting. I would love for you to help me to define it because when I saw the questions, I was like, I want to learn the definition of this because I've seen this phrase before, but I don't really get what it means. So the question is related to pro-social behaviors. Okay. in the context of you know the role of empathy. But first of all, let's define pro-social behaviors for those who are new to it. You know, How would you define it?
1: Yeah, so a pro-social behavior in my eyes is just a behavior done to help another person. Um, mm-hmm. So some kind of act that is done in order to benefit somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. So that can take a lot of different forms. You might give someone money, you might use effort in order to help another person. Um, yeah, you might provide emotional support, uh just but any sort of act, any sort of behavior that someone mm-hmm. does in order to benefit mm-hmm. another person rather than themselves. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Yeah.
0: Would a thought count? Because you know, a lot of the time we're just like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> or maybe it's just actually no, that, that could be an act, actually, because you can send a message and be like, I'm rooting for you. That's yeah. also an act, actually. Now that I think about yeah. it.
1: I think the thought wouldn't count, but the, the I'm rooting for you or sending thoughts, uh, that yeah. act would count, I think, yeah, and, as okay. a behavior like that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Just for our audience to keep in mind. So first of all, we've defined pro-social behaviors. And second of all, now we're going to talk about empathy in the context of that, um, so, I mean, the example I just gave already is an example, like I am rooting for you and I send the text message to my friend right. um, and that already shows my empathy. Perhaps my friend's going through something or needs a bit of moral support and I'm sending good words to them and making sure that they can, you know, feel the support. Um, so I was definitely, you know, using my my empathy for that act, uh, for that behavior. Yeah. But um, yeah, what what else would you say to be some of the things that people might not know about uh, the role of empathy in such scenarios.
1: Yeah. I think there's a really interesting uh, conversation to be had about empathy and pro-social behavior. On the one hand, empathy often drives pro-social behavior. So both empathy for positive and negative emotions. Uh, You might come by and see someone suffering. You feel motivated to relieve their suffering. Uh, you may come by, you may see someone experiencing positive emotions. You may feel motivated to help them experience more positive emotions, right? We don't just want our friends and loved ones to not suffer. We want them to flourish and be happy. Uh, so we, and we act accordingly. Um, but uh, one thing that's kind of interesting as well, and and to keep in mind is that empathy isn't always uh, a reliable or not necessarily a reliable source of moral decision-making. So it can sometimes lead us uh it can bias us in some ways or have us spotlight on some people to the exclusion of others. So mm-hmm. there's been some studies that like, if you get someone to empathize with a particular person on an organ donor list that's waiting, they might move mm-hmm. them up the wait list, uh, even though it you know, costs other people that are on the wait list. So yep. it can make us uh, kind of biased in our moral decisions. But I think also in that, what we have to do there is make sure that we're empathizing with everybody that's involved been Mm. impacted by our actions, right? I think in those studies, we could probably reverse the effect by saying, okay, I want you to empathize with this person that you just bumped down the list. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you still think it's a good idea to bump them down the list. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I think now this is getting interesting to me because uh, when I asked you to define pro-social behaviors, the the, the thought that entered my mind is this, and this is what I struggle with. What if you think the behavior is pro-social? Well, in fact, Mm -hmm. it's the complete opposite Okay, you think it's good for somebody, but you're just imposing, really. And I think this is subjective, right? What is uh, I don't know what is an objective way to define it, but sometimes a lot of behaviors that we see or even sometimes we do, they can be controversial when you put it Mm -hmm. in context. Because if, uh, let's just say, um, parents and children, uh, parents can, you know, like, uh, let's just say prevent their children from hanging out with their friends while they're studying because they think this will be good for you. Isn't. And that's in the you know the social relationship between parents and children. but in fact, uh, the child might be suffering and just needs some friends, and that Isn't. got stopped in the first place. And the parents thought that okay, out of empathy, I'm gonna do this because I think the child needs to study more and maybe needs a little push or needs boundaries because this person you know the, my child doesn't know boundaries. So I'm just gonna right. do it. This is like a random observation I had over my time uh, spent with family over the holidays, um, but yeah, I wonder what your thoughts are on this topic.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think in some cases, um, yeah, there's, there's a couple ways that pro-social behaviors or what people think are pro-social behaviors might turn out to be like antisocial. So mm-hmm. one way might be, as you say, you misunderstand what's good for them or how they're feeling. Um, you might think you know what's best for them and, and be wrong. You might think you know how they're feeling and be wrong. Um, you might think you know how what you do is going to affect what, how they're feeling and be wrong about that. Um, so so that's one way that you could uh, be kind of antisocial, trying to help somebody, but actually harming them with your empathy. Um, yeah. Another way that you can be kind of antisocial from empathy is uh, when you empathize with a specific target and then you're aggressive or you act a retaliate against somebody else. Um mm. Oh, this might be a case of like pro social aggression. So, a lot of times oh. in uh, like war propaganda and stuff like that, people will, um, you know, to explain to the population all the terrible things that these people are doing, right? And like, can you imagine the suffering of the people that they're doing it to and use that to, uh, you know, get them to want to go to war kind of thing. So, mm. th- these are the different ways that empathy can lead to uh, not necessarily moral decisions, but um, I think, you know, on balance, empathy. Tends to drive pro social behavior. Most of the mm-hmm. time, we're not making these like massive decisions that affect tons of people, right? Most of the mm-hmm. time, I could help somebody or I could not help somebody, and my actions probably only gonna affect them. So, in those yeah. sorts of contexts, empathy probably drives pro social behavior, unless you have a misunderstanding, as you described. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: That term pro social aggression sounds so interesting to me my first time hearing it. And yeah, I, I guess that came out of the conversation, but uh, if I picked up a new learning today, it's that phrase. So I'm gonna put that in my back pocket to use. Uh, but I think what you mentioned really caught my attention because you said, uh, you know, it, it it might, you just confirmed, it might not be the case. So sometimes you, you have good intention, you yeah. act out of empathy, it could still be wrong. So since we're talking about managing our empathy, um, This might not be entirely related to the topic, but how can we be more conscious of our behaviors when we are managing our empathy? You know, because we can think that we're acting out of empathy and we're doing something good for others, but maybe not because there's some sometimes hidden agenda or subconscious uh, biases. I don't know. Could be anything, right? And you've done the research, you might know.
1: Yeah, that's that's tricky. Um, I think... There's some work, uh, there's kind of a cool paper, it's called Perspective Mistaking, which I, I like that phrase. Um, yeah. So it's just this idea that we often, you know, we take perspective, we feel pretty confident that we understand, but we don't actually understand uh, their, mm. their perspective accurately. So mm. and what they suggest instead is simply perspective getting. So just asking the person, you know, mm-hmm. rather than try to infer from their emotional cues, just ask them how, how they're feeling. How is this affecting you? Uh, you know, is there something I could do differently? Uh, that would be better, yeah. So I think just checking in with the person uh, can can sometimes uh, be a good way to do it. Um, yeah, uh, mm. that's really I a guess good being, one. Yeah, I, I guess just being open minded as well. After you've made your decision and you and you see the effects, um, you know, did that have the effect that you expected? It, you know, did you really understand the situation? Um, so that could be another way, but I, I think probably just checking in with them is the best mm, best way. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Good points. I, I think what one thing I can relate to that to the the next question, which is uh, the the final question of this part, is when you are acting out of empathy and you think that you're making a good impact, uh, it can be the opposite. And you know, you, for a lot of people, they always try to act out of empathy, um, and I think sometimes it can be uh, negative for them because they might get burnt out from all of this. You know, they might say, Oh, you know what? I've, I've acted out of empathy. I've done all the good things for people around me, for my friends, my family, but it doesn't lead to anything. And I feel bad or like the, you know, the outcomes are negative. Um, or it can be, you know, I've, I've always done this for people, but I don't get any empathy in return. Um, you know, it can be anything, right? It, lots of things can lead to emotional burnout. And uh, this is one of the, the pieces that we want to you know, learn more about because you know, we can get fatigued from it. We can get burnt out from it, even though we know that empathy is such a good force in our lives and our well-being. So, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Like, when can this happen? Um, I've given some examples out of my understanding, but perhaps you have more insights into other ways that this can happen.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say I think it's really interesting uh, the idea that uh, not receiving empathy back could lead to burnout. I think that's a really really interesting idea. Um, yeah, so I think that you know as we often think about empathy uh, in the context of suffering, that that's definitely a, a context where empathy not properly managed can lead to compassion fatigue, burnout, and and I especially think that if you so there's this interesting thing uh, where doctors, if you ask doctors uh, what their perception of empathy is, they put more of a focus on that emotion-sharing piece than their patients do. Um, this is work by uh, Judy Hall and Fred Zhuang. And um, so they they have more of a focus on that emotion-sharing component. But I think in that context, when you're dealing with physical suffering a lot uh, and, and emotional suffering, having that emotion-sharing focus is probably going to be a risk for burnout. Now doctors might be better at managing um, that than others, uh, perhaps, but I still think uh, it, it can be an issue. Uh, so when you share those negative emotions um, in a context where there's a lot of suffering, you share negative emotions that can lead to personal distress. Uh, if you're not able to regulate the negative emotions that you're sharing, especially, that's what leads to personal distress often. And personal distress, when you have it prolonged or repeated, that's where you start to get burnout and compassion fatigue in my view. Um, Uh, And uh, yeah, as well, sometimes if you just are exposed to, you know, it doesn't have to be very long, but quite extreme negative things that can lead to secondary trauma, uh, which it can also be difficult to deal with. Um, Yeah. So those are some of the concerns. Uh, The the other piece that I kind of wanted to bring up here was uh, about like emotional burden, but you sort of already talked about it, uh, which is where we can have this you sort of not negative or not so good response to positive emotions right uh, when I first sort of found you know empathy for positive emotions is so much more common it was like okay great like when you see positive emotions that's just going to be good how could that go wrong right but in fact uh, you can have these social comparisons and and you can have this negative response so you can take on emotional burden from seeing people's positive emotions but um but it, that's why I think it's important to sort of Try to learn how to respond with positive empathy instead of making that response.
0: Mm. Yeah, mm. very interesting points, and and you touched on quite a few things earlier that will now um, raise a lot of questions in our audience. Someone might ask, "Okay, that's the theory. So, how do I actually manage it in my life?" Right. So, let's now go into the practice part because I want yeah. to get practical with you and also share, you know, as many tips as possible that you know our listeners can take away and actually do Um, so what would be a practice that you would do yourself or you would recommend to others to manage their empathy better
1: yeah so I would say it might be worth um, giving a try sort of what we talked about about having that attitude of like celebrating sharing and celebrating the positive emotions of other people on social media there's definitely work to suge- uh, a lot of work to suggest that uh, turning to compassion, focusing on compassion, what people are suffering, you know, understanding their, that people do suffer uh, in the world, there are negative emotions, we all feel pain and joy, and sometimes people are going to suffer and we could feel compassion and care for them. If we, if we share their emotions to such an extent that we begin to suffer ourselves and, and that's not helpful for them. Sometimes sharing negative emotions is helpful, right? If it's someone really close to you and it's really something sad for them and you cry with them, that might be helpful for them. Uh, and it might impact your well-being. but that might be kind of called for in your friendship, right? But if mm. you're like deeply feeling every tragedy that you come across, when you read the newspaper or browse social media, that's that's going to be problematic. So that's where like compassion maybe is more called for. Um, mm. But yeah, so so I think it's more... It's about just kind of keeping that attitude with you to the extent that you can, of mm-hmm. having appreciative joy, practicing appreciative joy when you see people's happiness and practicing compassion, not getting drawn into, drawn into or drowned by personal distress and negative emotion sharing really resonating mm-hmm. with that. You know, you can, mm-hmm. ex- oh, I'm feeling this person's negative emotions. Um, I accept that and I'm just going to gently redirect my attention to the compassion that's really motivating it. Can I help this person? Mm. Maybe. Oh, I can help Mm. them. Let's help them. I can't Mm -hmm. help them. Well, I can't help everyone. There's suffering in the world. Uh, I'll help who I can, and and when I can't, I'll I'll just feel compassion for them and wish them the best, uh, kind of thing. Um, Mm.
0: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. uh,
1: there's there are uh, you know there's things like a meta meditation, loving kindness meditation, um, which where you can kind of practice uh, cultivating that attitude maybe of Mm -hmm. of celebrating uh, the happiness of others. Uh, or sorry, of you know, wishing well on others, that can help with the compassion piece, and then there mm-hmm. can be like mudita or appreciative joy meditations that that uh, people have that you could maybe practice to practice cultivating a, a attitude of appreciative joy. But I think mm-hmm. uh, also just trying trying to be mindful of them and maintain them in your daily life, I think, is is a good way to do it, because that's mm-hmm. the context where you're you're really living, right? Not not in a state of meditation yeah. all the time, but in a state of consciousness engaging with the world Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah totally well i mean you you mentioned meditation and you know loving kindness meditation i really i love meditation myself and i think Mm -hmm. when when you mentioned that i'm like great but it's just dawned on me that a lot of our guests suggest meditation so you know on the daily we might do different kinds of meditation and i feel like because we have so much um that is connected to our well-being it's not one thing it's multiple things right so uh, today We're talking about empathy. We're talking about loving kindness meditation. But tomorrow we might talk about self-compassion and there might be another kind of meditation for self-compassion. So the golden question is, how often should we meditate, you know, Mm -hmm. like this? Because... we're talking about the context of well-being right It's, it's good yeah. to do this on the daily but if we're meditating on every single thing, you could imagine Definitely. that it will you know it'll take a while. Uh, so yeah how often should we do this at least to you know keep it in mind, cultivate this attitude and make sure we don't forget about it
1: Yeah so uh, I think uh, the, the meditation it could help uh, people to maybe cultivate those attitudes but uh, if, if it's possible for you to just have that attitude and keep it in mind without doing the meditation, then maybe yeah. that in and off could be helpful, right? So mm-hmm. there's, Ellen Langer has done some work on uh, mindfulness. I don't know if you've heard of her, but uh, she talks mm-hmm. more about like uh, not not uh, meditative mindfulness, but just having, being aware of new things in the world and, and being mm-hmm. mindful in your daily life kind of thing. So that's sort of yeah. how I think about this, uh, like having an attitude of appreciative joy and an attitude of compassion. So um, just mm-hmm. sort of having these twin tools when you engage with suffering and happiness. That uh, yeah. help them to engage with it skillfully and uh, in a way that boosts your well being, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. bringing that kind of thing, yeah. Right yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. Well, I think if someone's struggling and they're like, "Oh, I don't think I have that much empathy," and you know, could that could be improved? Then they can infuse more meditation into their routine. You know, if uh, not daily, then maybe weekly. That would help because you know, if you already have the attitude, then you know, it's easy to just like, you know, bring that out when needed. Right. But if it's not there, then Ding there's got to be some groundwork. So I think it depends on the level of empathy that each person feels. And it's very customizable. So, you know, if someone's like, I don't think I need to meditate. I have it with me at all times. And, you know, I'll remember to bring it out when needed. Great. Mm. But then if someone's like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> That person right. might need to meditate a little bit and start the journey somewhere. Um, so healing. yeah, I think that's that's a good point because it's it's good to always have it, but not everyone has it. That's just the way life goes.
1: Right. There <laughs> there is some work uh, to suggest that empathy is malleable, like uh, so it is something that people can practice and change. So um, you know maybe those sorts of meditation practices or other ways can can help get people to a place where they can bring those attitudes to their daily lives. But, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. What would you say to be some of the challenges then? Because, uh, you know, each person would approach this differently, right? Someone might um, already be meditating on this. So you mm. know, no further advice needed. But someone might be like, oh, okay, this is my first time hearing about this. Loving kindness meditation sounds cheesy. Might not want to start doing that. And then for some other people, okay, I'll meditate. But then the challenge might be when they actually you know, use the tool. And there might be, you know, varying levels of challenges when they take up such practices. But um what oh, would you right. say to be the biggest ones that people might encounter and how can they overcome them?
1: Yeah. I think maybe I, I think I'd have maybe more insight about challenges of um bringing the practice into your daily life than yeah. uh, meditation. Yeah. I'm not... Mm-hmm. Uh, a meditation expert or instructor or anything like that. So I'm sure that other people could probably give better advice on those. Um, yep. But in terms of uh, how do you how do you have a compassionate attitude? So I think one, and how do you have an attitude of appreciative joy? I think your uh, point earlier about um, you know being happy with yourself and where you're at in life um, in order to celebrate the happiness of others. That's that's probably an important piece that that people need to keep in mind. So um trying to work on uh, your own life and getting to a place where you uh feel satisfied with it. Of course, that is much easier said than done. Um, but that that could be an important piece. But I, I guess um, you know, just just remaining decentered. Um, a lot of times we get drawn in. Um, I think we like to self everything, right? Uh, what does this mean for me? Which makes sense from, you know, an organism, the evolutionary perspective. It makes sense to think about what everything in the environment means for me. Um, but a, a lot of times, that's where the challenges come in. So if I see someone is suffering, and then I start to suffer, and I it becomes about how I'm feeling and how distressed I am, and I uh, become too self-involved, uh, and I need to sort of stay decentered. Uh, and it, it's equally, uh, or not equally, but it's a similar story on the flip side, when you're dealing with a positive emotion, it's, uh, you know, this person's having this great thing happen to them, but rather than great, that's awesome for them. It's what does this mean about me? Uh, Well, clearly I'm not where I should be. And, um, you know, I'm not getting what I deserve. And um, maybe I'm not as good of a person as they are. So, um, yeah, I think remaining decentered and keeping in mind that people, everybody experiences joy and suffering. And, Mm. you know, when someone's posting about their their wonderful thing that's going on part of that is impression management they maybe cried all day before that post or you know they've they've had a really tough week uh, you yeah. know and this is the one good thing that's happened like mm. uh, you people don't a lot of people don't post that often they'll maybe post their one big news uh you know of the month that happened or, yeah. yeah and then so you get everybody's highlights uh yeah you no know, and compare that to your Every everyday life sort of thing so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah totally
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely but The But really good point I really like that word decentered I'll keep that in my dictionary from now on remain decentered such a great one um, you just you just sort of uh, reminded me of a of something that happened not long ago but um, basically I was catching up with uh, old friends and you know my teachers from middle school was, you know when I was visiting my family and um, we had a really nice dinner and everything and Throughout the course of the dinner, my teacher was sharing um, about her daughter's life, which, you know, it's great in in the States. And I was like, great, she's doing really well. But then she wouldn't stop. She kept talking about it for two hours. So (laughs) by this point, you could imagine that as much as I would like to bring out the empathy for the positive emotions in me, it got to a point where I needed it to stop.
1: So, mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, I think picking up from the practice that we just shared, it was just important to also remember, at least for me, now that I think about it, it, it was important for me to actually redirect the conversation, but I didn't. That was on me. And- <laughs> I let her keep going. Uh, but yeah, yeah it, I, I think that was like, also like the fatigue from hearing all of that as well. Like, I'm very happy for her, but can we talk about something else as well? Because like no, you know, I feel like I'm caught in this, like somebody else's life. And there's yeah. so much more to to talk about, and so much more to discuss, and you know, I I feel like th- there that's another thing as well. Like it's great to celebrate all the good things, but what else to you know is there? Because there might be things to uh, pay attention to. You know, there might be things that you just forget to talk about. Um yeah. Like it's very important because I feel like if it's stuck in a loop of like two hours of talking about the same thing, that might get yeah. too much as well, and it might it might drain you, like compassion fatigue, even even though it's yeah. a good. Like it's a good thing. Like I was very happy for her daughter, but I just had enough of it because it was <laughs> the conversation did not stop, and I was like, yeah. my friend and I were both there, and we were looking at each other like, uh, oh, uh, you yeah. know, can we talk about something else?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's a, I mean, this it sounds like, um, you know, there was other things to talk about, and and that sort of comes into play. We and, couldn't you know, talk you about to it, fun. yeah, yeah, but uh, but uh, there is work to. Suggest actually coming from our lab. I haven't been involved, but uh, my advisor and my former lab mate Amanda have done a lot of, and Daryl Cameron and others have done a lot of work on uh, how empathy is effortful and uh, could fatigue you over time, mm. even when it is for positive emotions. So yeah, yeah I mean, uh, sharing 100%. her perspective and imagining how she's feeling uh, for two straight hours, I definitely could see how that could get fatiguing. <laughs> yeah. Among yeah. other things, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That, that just reminded me of that funny story, and I thought it would be it'll be good to. Uh, learn from it and perhaps next time redirect the conversation. So you can perhaps spend your empathy on other emotions and, you know, other stories and things like that. Cause it'll be good to, yeah, like jump from one to another and just spend your energy on different things. Not just the one. Cause yeah, it, it was pretty tiring towards the end, even though it was good. So, you know, there's the balance to everything I find. And right. that's what, like my mantra in life. You got to find the balance really.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think, uh, yeah, finding the balance and, and having, a, you know, being understanding when you can't celebrate this moment of happiness. Mm-hmm. You make a social mm-hmm. comparison. That's fine. That's going to happen. Like, don't dwell on it, right? Or, you know, you found someone was suffering and you felt personal distress. Okay, well, that's okay. That happens sometimes. It's just about trying to have more of the positive moments when you can.
0: Yeah, a very fruitful discussion. Uh, I'm going to think about it some more, but uh, this is just a gentle reminder to you know, think about the the different ways that empathy can go really right and really wrong. And we need to manage it and, you know, maintain it in a way that would help our well-being. Because as we have talked about, even though it's good, too much of it can also lead to, you know, f- uh, f- compassion fatigue and emotional burnout and things like that. Now, I've got uh, a question from the audience that I find to be very interesting, and I think we should touch on it before we wrap up, is... Okay. We've talked about having empathy, curating empathy, but this question is about uh, someone with a a lack of empathy. What are some strategies you have found to be effective for breaking someone out of their lack of empathy? So this is like a, you know, like maybe a friendly advice to help somebody when we realize that they actually have no empathy at all.
1: That's interesting. Um, I, I haven't done, so... There are, you know, certain populations um, that, that have like callous on emotional traits and uh, like psychopaths, for example, tend to really not uh, share emotions a lot, or uh, though they tend to be able to perspective take and understand people's perspectives. They don't, sometimes don't have, some work suggests they don't have that um, like care piece so much about what they're feeling. It's more like they understand it and can use that knowledge. Um, so, mm-hmm. For someone who seems to have no, I think we could look at the work by Jamil Zaki on like beliefs about malleability of empathy. So maybe a Mm -hmm. first step could be to explain that empathy is actually a skill that can be practiced as opposed to like a resource that gets depleted. Um, So you may have sort of a low level of empathy, but first of all, the fact that you want to increase your empathy already suggests that you think it's important um, and that you'd like to have more. So uh, it could be trained. Uh, maybe for people like that, having trying an experience of like a meta meditation where you try to having care for yourself and then care for a close other and then a neutral other and, and sort of moving through those steps. Maybe that could be helpful in those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but. That's a good question. I don't I don't have a ton of great answers to I know, that.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what um, to do either. And honestly, <laughs> this is going to be funny. But immediately when I saw this question, I was like, I think of Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory. And I'm like, I don't know what to uh, do with Sheldon. If Sheldon's in front of me, I'm not going to do anything because there's nothing to do. I don't know how I'm going to change this person. You know, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Just thought starters. You know, somebody else might have ideas, but I think this is new to all of us. And I don't think there's any research out there to kind of like start... You know, breaking them out of their lack of empathy or changing a person, because I feel like it, it's got to come from within. Like some sort of event really? needs to trigger it, or they there needs to be something that happened that they feel a need arising. Okay, I need to learn more about empathy. I need to change my level of empathy, or oh, I don't have empathy at all. Because that yeah, you know like, that's like self awareness.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It might it might require like a sort of transformative experience uh, in some cases. Um, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, something to think about even further. And you know, next time if you have uh, new insights to share with us, we will definitely welcome you back to talk more about this. Uh, yeah, but overall, it's been a really fun conversation talking about empathy. Um, it's lighthearted, but I definitely learned a, a new thing today. Like remaining decentered—that's that's a new word for me. We'll definitely mm. keep that in mind. And oh, actually, the second thing I learned is the three different kinds of empathy that you shared earlier. That's new to me as well. Uh, So thank you for sharing about um, empathy, your work and, you know, lots of the things that uh, are not usually on our radar, Um, you know, new new research and books and things like that. Before we let you go, I would love to invite you to our open mic where we invite our guests to talk about anything that they're passionate about. It doesn't have to be about the topic of the day. I know you're very passionate about empathy because that's what you do for your research. And, you know, we've talked about managing empathy for an hour, um, so perhaps if you have other interests, you can talk about it, or if you're really interested in empathy and you want to talk about it some more, go for it.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess maybe even broader than, uh, my interest in empathy is, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of passionate about, uh, trying to, like I said, because we can sort of have this influence over our conscious experience. I want to try to find out, and I guess this is kind of focused on my studies and stuff like that, but. I, I am really passionate about trying to find out ways that we can improve people's well-being, whether that's through sort of strategically regulating our empathy, or whether that's through, um, you know, learning emotion regulation skills more broadly, or other sorts of um, things, um, social uh, impacts as well. Um, so I, I'm 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 really kind of passionate about uh, helping people lead, you know, fulfilling lives and sort of help them figure out ways to become the best version of themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's something I'm I'm passionate about and and just trying to make a positive impact uh, in the world Mm -hmm. to the extent that I can, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're working on your dissertation, so I'm hoping we'll see some interesting insights that will come out of that based on what you just shared uh, because you're very passionate about this area and you've shared a lot of new insights with us um, but just on the topic of empathy there might be even more right because you said it's a lot of different other things as well not just empathy so yeah hopefully we'll we'll see that research soon and you know we'll learn a lot of new things and continue doing the good work that you're doing i think it's uh, it's a really good thing that you're trying to achieve uh, which will benefit all of us
1: Well thanks very much Lou. and i, I think that uh, the work you're doing here is sort of spreading and trying to communicate and teach people different skills and uh, different ways of understanding well-being I think is really great too so thanks for having me
0: you've been listening to doing well the well-being science insights podcast produced by the well-being science labs a division of lmsl the life management science labs more episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching lmsl on apple podcast google podcast Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoy this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngô. Thanks for tuning in.